2: Opinion Line with
3: PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM Well we finished up yesterday with uh, live coverage of that press conference the Taoiseach Antonishter and Minister for Health were giving us details of what was to happen in the next phase of this COVID-19 and we discovered that we're in level 2 now and that Dublin is in level well 2 and a bit But that was only the start of the fun that was to follow, you know. Next thing you know, the dial is suspended because Stephen Donnelly has taken ill. Uh, You wouldn't wish it to anybody, but he's been run off for a COVID test. So dial is suspended. Uh, uh, Count Corla sends them all home. Everything is gone for a week and we're getting just come to terms with that, and we realise, hold on a second, no, the doll is isn't suspended at all. I mean, then they're back, right? And they're sitting in wondering what they can do now. And then, on the 9 o'clock news, we're getting the latest about Stephen Donnelly, and the political correspondent on 9 o'clock news is staring into the camera, looking at his mobile phone, going, I just got a text message from Stephen Donnelly to say that his test is clear. Which, that's grand too, but they're still giving out inside the doll, but what, they're going to... Like, you actually could not make it up, as he said, finishing out the news last night. The political correspondent, you just could not make it up. So this morning, now we don't know what we're doing, what zone we're in, who's in, who's out, who's working, who's not, who's the minister for anything. We have completely lost the run of this. You just have your head in your hands. But the doll is back, the Cabinet is is not isolating. Stephen Donnelly does not have COVID-19. So, realistically, we're back where we started this time yesterday, as confused as ever. But one thing emerged, people were wondering, what was all the fuss about Stephen Donnelly? How did he get a test back so quickly? And how did the Cabinet arrange self-isolation quite so quickly? And a lot of people were observing that on social media last night. Khan, you were one of them. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What did you want to say? It was like, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It was a circus yesterday.
4: It was um, a fiasco. Like, firstly, now I want to express my delight that Stephen Donnelly is well and that his test has come back as negative. Yes. First of all, I'm happy about that. But my big issue is that the government went into self-isolation, which is completely 100% right according to public health guidelines and all the medical health advice. But my big issue is that Meat plant workers approximately now, about a month and a half ago, who were tested positive for COVID-19 were expected to come back into work a day or two after testing positive because like people are discussing why, why are they going into work and that. some people are even, I've read on social media calling them criminals for going into work the next day, meat plant workers, mm. but I don't think they are because what's their choice? They but they don't else. have
3: a sick pay scheme, yeah. you don't work, you don't eat.
4: Absolutely. They have no choice. There are two choices there. A lot of them might have families, and sadly, a lot of them might be in direct provision, and they have two options. One option is to go to work with COVID 19 and brave it out, which I. Completely think is wrong, but what have what choice do they have?
5: Well, again, and
3: then, we know since this even started, my friend, that not a, not just the meat factory workers, and they're of huge importance here, but all over the country there are people in jobs that don't have any kind of a sick pay scheme, that won't get paid if they're out, that if they don't turn up for the shift, they don't get a wage, they don't eat, they don't feed their families, they can do nothing about it. And they're dosing themselves with paracetamol if they get the slightest hint of a temperature. There could be people walking around the country with COVID-19 right, left and centre because they're afraid to take time off.
4: Absolutely. Um, That's completely true because there's, as you said, there is not an entitlement for sick pay for anybody. And I was just reading this morning on Citizens Information and an employer does not have have to pay sick pay. Like, someone, if they have enough PRSI contributions, can go on in this benefit. But at the end of the day, if uh, an employer doesn't have a mandatory choice to have to pay workers' sick pay, then what's the point? There is no obligation on any employer
3: to provide a sick pay scheme in this country.
4: None. Yeah. And um, as well as that, some people, especially in direct provision now, how would you expect them to have enough PRSI contributions? Because... They're probably, a lot of them might be in the country maybe only a year or two, and they probably don't have enough PR contributions, so their options are either going to work and brave it out, or else stay at home and live on nothing. Mm. And I think this government is completely out of touch with ordinary people, and that they're completely out of touch. It's like one rule for them, and one rule for the rest of us, all us workers.
3: Well, well. here's the thing. You mentioned the meat factories, and you're perfectly right. You mentioned the direct provision, and you're perfectly right. But let's broaden it beyond that to the tens of thousands of ordinary workers in ordinary jobs up and down the country who, if one member of the household gets symptoms, that's the whole household having to isolate. That might be two people having to stay home from work. That might be two children having to stay home from school. That creates all sorts of problems. And they're 100%. not getting tested because of that.
4: 100%. There, there's lots of people that they could be on normal, middle-class income. And as you said, one person might have to be tested for COVID-19. And the whole family has to self-isolate, which is, of course, the, pro- the right public thing to health do, guidelines. But, but there are
3: no provisions I, for them to do it.
4: Yeah. And, but the problem is there is no sick pay for them. Now, to be
3: fair, Attican, at the very start, what we did get, and it's still there because I checked it last week, that if you have to go into self-isolation as a suspected or confirmed case, I think confirmed case of COVID-19, you do get a state sick pay scheme and you do get it from day one of the day you go out, but your rest of your family have nothing else. Yeah,
4: and you can't just expect one part, like there could be mostly two, members of a family that are working and you can't expect just one person to be on sick pain, the other person to be on no income and there's been, there was nothing to address that and yesterday and what really annoyed me yesterday was the fact, I know the Minister for Health should be getting his test results fast but my big issue is that we're, te- we're being told that the test results are, well they're being fastened, fastened a bit lately, they're being reduced to maybe two or three days you know, mm. turnaround time But
3: Now they can be turned over in a number of hours, in yeah. particular situations. I, I happen to know uh, someone in my own extended circle who had to go into hospital for procedure, had a yeah. COVID test and had the result in a couple of hours. So, like, it's possible to do it.
4: Yeah.
3: And obviously that's, that's what happened with, with Stephen Donnelly yesterday.
4: Yeah. And um, that's, that's exactly what I'm. my point is. is that if we, we can actually have... The capacity to give people test results faster, but it seems that if they're in a higher position of power, which is I know understandable because they have, we have a government and we need a functioning government to get us through this crisis. Like no matter how you know sh- uh, much of a shambles this government there, uh, we do need a government to get us through this crisis. But I think that it just shows that if they can give the minister for health his results in maybe two or three hours, then they can give ordinary people their results in back in to her in a couple of hours and at least less than a day because I was reading even one of my own friends now she knows one of her members of family now are working with the elderly and helping the elderly she's like a frontline worker and she gets they get tested every two weeks but mm. then sometimes they have to work throughout these tests and they don't get these test results for two weeks time so what my my point is and my question is what is the difference between a frontline worker and a Minister for Health. They're both, in my eyes, the same thing, except the fact that the frontline worker, if you ask me, does much harder work, has much harder work dealing with sick patients, whether they are people with COVID or people with other problems. They do a lot more than a Minister for Health does.
3: You're not yeah. wrong. You're not wrong. Attican, thank you very much, as always. 1850 it is possible. And one of the doctors, I can't remember which... One of the experts told me it could have been Dr. Lambert or Professor McConkey, It could have been anybody. But you can actually turn over this test, this PCR test that they do. From the time you put the swab into the reagent, you, you can turn it over in a couple of hours. So you get the swab, you get the kit, and you can get the result in a few hours. So that can be applied to pretty much anybody. But at the same time the the problem is like Kevin was on to me uh, to say that his children waited seven days to get their tests and their results, but the Minister for Health gets it done in five hours, and that says Kevin was a disgrace. We're trying to contact Kevin at, at the moment, but you can see there's probably loads like him out there people complaining to me for the last six months that they get called for a test, and then when they go for the test they're due to two days and three days and four days waiting for the result to come back. And you get the average, oh, it's back within 24, 36 hours. It should be. It should be. And a lot of the time it is. But the slightest bit of pressure on the system and ee- it creaks to a halt. It creaks to a halt. And when it creaks to a halt, you've got someone sitting at home who can't go to work, who isn't getting paid. The whole house is upscuttled. Someone like me who's lucky to have a, a very good sick pay scheme in this job, I'm okay. If I have to go home for a couple of days, I'm all right. But the guy across the road in the shop, he's banjaxed. 1850
2: 715 This is Courts Gold. Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now. 1850-715-996. On
2: Courts 96 FM.
3: Michael on Twitter says, of course it's fair that Stephen Donnelly can get his result back in a few hours. He's a government minister. We can't have our government not sitting while Stephen Donnelly waits on a result. This is done for the good of the country and not for the good of Stephen Donnelly. Michael, I don't think anybody's disagreeing with the fact that he got it back quickly and that he should get it back quickly. But the point that they're making is if it can be done in a few hours for Stephen Donnelly, and it can, why can't it be done for other people? in other jobs, who need to be at work tomorrow or Monday because they won't get paid, who need to know and need to know now. And they're not on the front line. And to be fair, the front line will get pushed forward. A government minister will get pushed forward. But other people have to wait and wait and wait, sometimes for days. My nine-year-old son was sent for a COVID test on Monday. We're waiting on the results, but what myself and my partner now have to stay out of work while we wait and will not be paid. What are we supposed to live on? That's just one message of many. A friend of mine getting chemo in the bonds has to get a test the day before each time. It costs for three hundred euro. So far, it's cost six hundred. Nobody wants to know—not the state, not the VHI, no one. I thought tests were free, by the way. But anyway, the government really has to start offering a fast, cheap, on-demand testing service. They've had months to sort it out never mind workplaces the government has told schools and preschools not to close if a student has a positive test never mind not feeling well yet a whiff of a sniff and we haul on his cronies leg it to the hills and then roll back from self-isolation to restricted movement that's a joke yeah those bonds tests and there are other hospitals doing it as well they're, they're a private test they're conducted privately the results are back in a couple of hours and there's a charge for it but the charge, you would think, would you not, should be covered by your health insurance. Like, we pay enough for the damn thing. We pay enough for our health insurance. And, and you would think that uh, it would cover something like that. Would you not? 1850-715-996. Back to something we did yesterday, and we'll, we'll keep across this um, for the morning. There are other rumours. There was rumours going around last evening that Dublin will be put into full lockdown tonight or tomorrow. That's a load of unsubstantiated garbage being put around by people looking for hits on Instagram. There's absolutely nothing to confirm that. Whether Dublin will be upgraded to phase three of the new five, it might be. It very much might be. But so far, it remains at two, stroke two and a bit. The pubs won't open... Next week, and there's restrictions on visits. But this thing that's going around, you'll have seen it probably WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook. You know, share this before it's taken down. It's BS, absolute BS. There's no. This, this was like the time that the army was supposed to have been tweeting that we were going to be locked down that day. Didn't happen, did it? Well, this won't either. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let us go back to yesterday when we we, we knew this would happen. Once the CAO results came out, once the points came out, and then on Monday, when people could see the original grade that their schools gave them, and then it all got put into the computer and the computer chewed it up and spat it out according to the algorithm and gave you back your actual results. And people are outraged and upset and horrified at the way their grades have been adjusted. And I had spoke I spoke on Monday, you'll remember When the grades came out, to Rory, um, he was delighted. He got his original uh, predicted grades. But then when the points came out, he discovered that he'd been downgraded right, left and centre. And his mum said, now he's had to settle for his third or fourth choice. We were followed, inundated, with messages like that. We need to come together to instruct solicitors, says this message, for a case not against the teachers, but against the department. Are there any group actions being taken, says John? I think the time has come to stop talking and start suing. Uh, Tony says, are there any solicitors who take it on pro bono? Niall says, my son is down in all subjects. How is that even possible? If there's a class action going, I would join in. I think this was about John's call yesterday morning. He was commenting on a few things including that. The top schools in Dublin are, are gathering up to take class action. Class action isn't a big thing in this country. You don't hear a lot of it. You mostly see it on... American documentaries and stuff, class actions but I wonder would it ever happen that so many disappointed people would take a class action against the Department of Education or the CAO or whomever as a result of what's happened this summer Uh, Solicitor William Harvey joins me. William, good morning Morning
6: PJ, thanks for having me on
3: Delighted sir. Class actions, they're not a thing in this country really, are they?
6: No, PJ, we have no precedent whatsoever um, for class actions, as you said in your, your lead-in there. It's, it's more commonly seen in the States and will be commonly used there. But um, in Ireland, we have no precedent whatsoever for class action type suits. Um, what you might see is um, test cases often brought where um, one individual um, would bring a case and hit that particular individual's circumstances and the facts would be identical to the other's and you would have this case brought forward and you would have others waiting in the wings, watching anxiously on to see what the court would do. But you wouldn't have a situation where you would have multiple um, litigants um, bringing one, effectively one case yeah. in
3: the Irish courts. But if you had someone, a single litigant, taking a case and a successful outcome, you would that make a precedent then for other people to follow?
6: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, PJ. So all of our courts followed um, decisions and any decision handed down. Once the facts are somewhat similar and of course with things like the leading search and the results, everyone's going to have the same factual scenario effectively. Um, So very often you will have cases waiting in the wings for the test case, for the decision on the test case. And then obviously, depending on the outcome of the test case, people might decide to proceed uh, or uh, withdrawals as the as the ruling might might dictate.
3: No, I wouldn't ask you to breach anybody's confidence, of course, William, as you well know, but has your phones been ringing since Monday or Tuesday?
6: We've had a number of inquiries, um, PJ, and our advice has been the same to everybody. Um, so there's a number of um, appeals processes that have to be gone through before you should seek. My advice certainly would be to go through the appeals process that is there. Um, So you're always best to to exhaust basically the internal procedure to appeal your results um, if you're unhappy before seeking recourse at the court.
3: So, like, realistically, a lot of people, I've never, no, I I presume every year, William, people are disappointed by the process. But I guess in a year where it's been thrust front and centre into the public light, I'm, I've never seen such disquiet with results and points and places.
6: Is it unusual in your experience? Very unusual. These are totally unprecedented times. PJ, we've obviously never had a system like this. We've never had students um, um, uh, unable to sit down and put their hard work on the paper and get their results. Um, And uh, I suppose from our point of view and when we're advising people... Firstly, you, you, uh, my understanding is that the appeals process will be sent to every student and they'll be informed of it.
3: Yes. And um,
6: ultimately, if they're not happy with the uh, appeals process, they have the opportunity to sit the exam in November. Now, look, it is unsatisfactory given the time college courses start and uh, whether the student will be year behind or not. Yeah. But I suppose we're living in unprecedented times. Um, yeah.
3: Uh, that's not the best line in the world, William, so I'll just finish up with one last one. So for anybody who is considering an action uh, in in response to what's happened to them with a the place or their points or whatever, they, they have to follow the appeals process first. There's no point. That's,
6: yes, PJ, that would be my recommendation to avail of the appeals process. Um, firstly, it will avoid costly litigation and... Um, what you would be looking at is most likely a judicial review, and that goes straight to the High Court. The Circuit Court doesn't have jurisdiction to deal with that. So you're looking at, at going straight to the High Court, you're looking at significant costs in doing that, and um, the best advice certainly would be exhaust internal procedure before seeking recourse
3: to the courts. All right. There's William, thank you very much. Not the best phone line we've ever had him on, but William Harvey, thank you. So, look, you might want to take on a case... You might want to sue the department, to sue the CAO, sue whomever. But you don't be caught out afterwards when they say, well, you didn't follow the appeals process. There was an appeals process there. You have to follow it. Follow the process. If necessary, sit the exam in November. It's a hames. It's an absolute mess of a system. But it's the only system that we have this year. Kevin says, our group class action suits a thing here. We've all seen the Ellen Brockovich film. I can't imagine the cost of a case like this involving hundreds of individuals. Well, as, as William just said there, Kev, it's not a thing in this country. We don't do it. What tends to happen is one person will take a case and win the case, and that sets a precedent that all the courts will follow afterwards. It, we don't get Ellen Brockovich-type things in this country. I think the answer to this is for disappointed students to sit the Leaving search. but a system be put in place then that they could rejoin the college courses? as if they'd gotten the offer on the first round. Almost impossible to do that, caller, but a great great idea. But I think speaking to any of the university people over the course of the last few months, particularly out at CIT, it would be very impractical because the courses are going to start online or hybrid or whatever you call them these days. They're starting at the end of September, start of October. The exam isn't in until November. You won't probably have a result until nearly Christmas. And the reallocation of points and places into January, February. So you'd have missed an entire semester. So that's kind of not practical. Plus the courses are full anyway. And Back to testing and times of testing, I'm a bit confused. When Phil Hogan came back from Brussels, he got tested. It came back negative. But he should have isolated in case it was a false negative. Or so we're told at the time. Did something change since then? Ah, oh, the fellas going back and forth from Brussels, They, they they've got some kind of special status now. I think. They have to get tested before they come over. And tested when they get here. But there's no isolation required. I don't think. I'm open to correction on that. John says, the waiting time for the minister was closer to three hours. Give or take a few minutes. I was tested four months ago. I still haven't had any results. Sweet divine. Sweet divine. Anybody know what uh, what odds Paddy Power is giving for an election this side of Christmas? Oh, listen, if it wasn't for COVID-19, we'd be gone out to vote in three weeks' time. Uh, 1850, 715, Johnny says, So they enforced restrictions on Kildare, Leash and Offaly, told them to stay within their counties, but they only advised Dublin not to leave their county. Don't advise them. Tell them. Enforce it. One rule for Dublin, another one for the rest of the country, says Johnny from Cork. And Mary Lou were reminded had to wait 13 days for the result of her COVID test. 1850 715 People not happy this morning for any number of reasons.
2: This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 On
2: Court's 96 FM.
3: As if to add to the troubles of the education sector at the moment. Bus Aaron has been criticised. I'm reading here from the Southern Star. Bus Aaron has been criticised for looking to recruit additional school bus and taxi drivers in the same week that students went back to the class after six months at home. Currently, just one in five secondary school bus services are operating at the recommended 50% capacity because buses can only be half full now due to COVID-19 restrictions. It's also been reported that it could take up to three months before all secondary school routes can operate at this capacity. Local independent councillors have hit out at the, the timing of all of this. Like the kids go back to school last week or the week before. And now, bus errand. Are looking for drivers like you? You honest to God, you you just could not make this up. Like you couldn't. Do you know what I mean? Honest to God, Councillor William O'Leary. Good morning to you.
7: Good morning, PJ.
3: How are you? I, <laughs> I'm baffled. Like you couldn't make this nonsense up, could you?
7: Well, if you're baffled, I'm I'm very very baffled, PJ. I I don't know what's worse in this situation: the fact that we're in this situation with regard to school transport, or the fact that we knew we were going to end up in this situation because uh pj regardless of whether we're in a COVID or non-covid situation we were going to end up at this point regardless and this was something that was pinpointed out many months ago by schools by public representatives by um by Bossier and themselves and it's true it wasn't dealt with it was pushed down the line and we are where we are now exactly where we knew we would be pj and um you know, the mint language this is causing on many families, parents particularly, who now have to drive their children to school in the morning because they don't have a bus seat. But that mm. results in them being late for work. And in many cases those parents now taking holidays from work, in some cases leaving their jobs so they can drive their kids to school in the morning. It's it's just not good enough PJ.
3: The Southern Star focuses particularly, as it would do, on on West Cork, where, you know, families might be 10, 15 miles from the school, 20 miles from the school even, and and the bus uh, normally would be as reliable as as clockwork. But why would you start looking for drivers that you knew you'd want six months ago?
7: Like like I said, said, that's what's baffling all of us here, PJ. Um, You know, there was no forward planning here in saying that in terms of the local area inspectors for bus and I can't fault them one bit. They go above and beyond to ensure that they can get as many onto buses as possible. But their hands are tied as well. I mean, the bottom line here, PJ, is this is about funding. It's about money. And in cases where, like areas where populations mightn't have been so big previously, they are after growing over the last 10, 15 years. So it's not about forward planning from the last six months to now. This has been about... Power planning over the last 10 years which has just been it's been abandoned and we are where we are now pj and it is chaos and for the government of the day not to be able to get children to school is shocking pj shocking
3: now we knew that capacity would be be reduced because of covid but like we were we knew this in july we knew this in june we we didn't learn this suddenly on the 1st of august or the 1st of september
7: Absolutely, I, I agree and that that is baffling me as well. Um I pres I, the only the only explanation I can have for us uh, is that they were so ingrained in trying to get the schools open and trying to get them uh, get them up to speed with regards to COVID um regulations and um restrictions, you know, that they seem to that the issue of school transport fell by the wayside. But uh, like I said again, PJ, this isn't about What's happened over the last six months? This issue has been brewing and brewing and brewing, and this is an issue every year, yeah. every year. And um, well, it is,
3: and and specifically, it's an issue with uh, children with additional needs.
7: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, like believe me, PJ, and it's the same for students and many parents. If you're if you're late for your if you're late for school or if you're late for work if you're late for work PJ, 96 FM every morning you're thrown for the day you know, your day is yeah. your your day is screwed you're just catching up all day and that's what it's like for many students who are now late for school and parents who are late for work it's just, it's having a, a monumental impact on their mental health Plus,
3: I mean, I I'd, yeah. ha- I'd have bosses who who wouldn't be overly impressed and I'm yeah, sure that same goes for other people
7: absolutely and many of these people are frontline workers Do you know, many parents I I have dealt with parents Particularly, um, one of the worst affected areas in my, con- uh, my part of the constituency, PJ, is, is, is Glynville, you know, and uh, just parents who are frontline workers, they're, they're late for work, and it's just the impact that has on their day mm. uh, and
3: their life. Has there been know? any response from Bus Aaron to this, Bus William? Eh, Bus Aaron have been quite helpful, to tell
7: you the truth. They have been quite helpful. I mean, they're very, very restricted, um, PJ. I mean, it's, it, at the end of the day, this is about money and capacity. And what we've seen over the last few months in relation to COVID is things that we've been told could never be done because the money was never there have been done, you know? Because I just had an idea,
3: just reading the article before I brought you on the air, I've also taken calls in the last six months from private coach operators whose entire fleet is sitting gathering cobwebs in their yards because they can't use them due to COVID-19. Surely Uh, those buses and those drivers could be brought into service for the state for the sake of the few months. Uh, common
7: sense would tell you that that would be the case, um, you know, and there are, like, the coach and tourism industry has been decimated over the past number of months. You know, you'd think that a bit of forward planning and a bit of engagement to, from, from April up until now would have, you know, ensured that some of these coaches and coach companies that are going to be affected for the foreseeable future could have been brought into the school transport fold. No, there is very strict regulations, PJ, about vetting and about... Um, ah,
3: yeah.
7: Yeah, you know, and... Uh, but and, if
3: you know. take all that into account, yeah. William, you know, you, you have to start asking questions about our ability, our politicians' ability to plan.
7: I agree, I agree, and like like you said, PJ, you would think this, this would have been... This would have been uh, six months ago in terms of we knew capacity was going to be reduced to 50%. We knew we were going to need more buses and routes. We know schools know what numbers are taken in from primary schools each year. You know, we, 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 I mean, this is very easy to plan, yes. you know, PJ. It's very easy to plan if, if there's a certain amount of funding being made available. But
3: Do you know the way you get from, from, sorry to cut across you, William, you know the yeah. you, you get from authority an awful lot, and I'd I, I be baiting my head off the table from it. Ah, well, it's not as simple as that. It
7: is! It is, it is. In this case, it is, PJ. I agree with you, you know, and I've been banging on the door. I mean, my, my record, and I've been on public record over the last 12 months, well before COVID came into play here about the, the, the polls about the, about the school transport system in this country. It's not fit for purpose anymore. It's outdated. You know, um, guidelines that have been there from the 70s are not working anymore. Populations have changed. Demographics have changed. You yeah. know, people who, from a certain area, who may have gone to school in another, in the same area. That, 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 that type of tradition is changing, you know. Yeah. That type people, attitudes to life are changing. They want choice in where they go to school, you know, and it's up to the the department of the day it's up to the government of the day to provide them with
3: that, you know. All right, okay, William it's probably a comment from a different era which, forgive me if a lot of people don't remember this, but I think the last school bus system that ran really well in this country was Benji Reardon's
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I know, but just to say, you know like, public representatives often get um, a rep on this you know, I mean, I know plenty of councils on the ground, you know, I know my own or well, in Cork, not Central, I'm working with Padraig O'Sullivan TD on a daily basis, you know and they're looking for the same answers as I am, and we're the public representatives so if we can't get them I, I, it's a shocking scenario yeah, PJ, right. I will say that, it is shocking
3: Alright, okay, leave it there, thank you That's Councillor William O'Leary uh, All over Cork County in particular, it would seem that people are now driving their children to school and being late for work themselves, the child late for school the southern star quotes a woman from Doris uh, who said as a parent of three children who played by the rules all summer and restricted their movements and contacts, it's a kick of the teeth to send them all off with their keep the fingers crossed approach that's more or less in, in, the, in the charge of, of bringing them back to school but bus Aaron are now looking for additional school bus and taxi drivers why weren't they looking for them three, four months ago? There's no blame to Bus Aaron here, by the way. There's no one uh, giving Bus Aaron a kicking here because they can only do what the National Transport Authority or the government tell them to do. Predomin- predominantly the National Transport Authority. Like, where was their responsibility here in knowing that you'd need extra buses for schools? Where was their responsibility? Why were Bus Aaron only given the go-ahead to look for the extra buses and drivers like last week? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. On the subject of points and places, my friend's son got his architecture in UCC. All his friends in Christians got huge points and got their courses, even though well over 520 points. They're appealing five subjects and they're very cross as they were downgraded. I'm not quite sure what that text means, but there's lots of them coming in. Quick reminder to you today, and it's been in the news all morning, that we've been asked to wear red today. And there'll be a photograph of me coming up later today. You'll see it. I'm going to be wearing my special Cork double shirt from Suit Distributors today, but it's all celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Cork GAA double in 1990. The GAA has teamed up at Marymount to help raise some funds for the charity, because Marymount losing a fortune this year with, with COVID. If you're doing something on social media, taking a picture of yourself wearing red, tag Marymount and tag Cork GAA. You can donate as well at idonate.ie. And I hope to mark the double towards the end of the programme in some way, shape or form. Just a quick mention, the, the nice people at Suit Distributors were on to me yesterday. They have a range. I mentioned this before, and Derry was giving them out on Oldies and Irish across the year they've got a beautiful range of special shorts designed specially for uh, the All-Ireland Double and they're giving all proceeds from those shorts are going to Marymount today. All those shorts are at their Balacrine shop and all proceeds from the special shorts are going to Marymount today from suit Distributors. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six 15996 Cork's 96. And thanks to Jimmy on the proc who tells me that Bus Aaron have had a poster up down in Parnell Place for the last six months looking for drivers. News to me, Jim. Thanks for that. So why the panic now? Which is a very good point. And also to the lads on the park, I don't mention them very often, but sometimes they say something that I happy to mention. They're asking me to talk more about Onlyfans and and Irish people. We've done it, lads. You're behind the curve a bit. We did Onlyfans and Irish people and Onlyfans about a year ago. So we did. 1850-715-996 If you are doing something for the Marymount Cork GAA, the the Red Cork thing today, let us know who you are and where you are and we'll try to give you an old minch uh, during the course of the morning. Uh, St. Finbar's Boys National School in Bantry are all in red today. Especially the principal, and he's a carryman. It'll be the only time he's wearing it for a long, long time. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. lovely pic of Finbar Archer on WhatsApp. Of course, Finbar Archer, the legendary Lord Mayor's driver in Cork. He's supporting the day. That's in it. Just on school transport, Peter Horgan, uh, Labour Party man, of course, checks his notes and reminds us that uh, Councillor O'Leary's party currently controls school transport. Yeah, good point, Peter. I probably should have said it to him. And another message then. Children not being transported to school. Cop on. We can't go to mass, to funerals, to matches, to pubs, to class for the last six months then when people protest the media brand them cranks and the far right I have no idea what that tweet is supposed to, or that message is supposed to mean we can't go to mass yes you can go to mass You can't all go to mass but you can go to mass you can go to funerals you can't all go to funerals But you can. matches under the new scheme there will be some people in fact let me just check stage 2 stage 2 let me have a look uh, sports uh, whatever yes yeah, sporting events Outdoors training, indoors training, exemption. Yeah, it's quite. I'll, I'll have a check, but yeah, matches and events up to a hundred patrons and spectators outdoors, and fifty patron spectators indoors, or two hundred for outdoor stadium with a minimum capacity of five thousand. So you can go to matches under stage two where we are at the moment. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. This came up at the council the other night, and it was quite an interesting one. Councillor Kevin, or Kenneth, rather, Councillor Kenneth Collins, had raised a question with the chief executive of the council about the current recruitment requirements for the fire service, because it requires you to have a full driving license to join the fire service. And Councillor Collins was making the point that because a lot of people haven't been able to get a driving test in the last six months due to COVID-19. Are they excluded now from the recruitment programme? And he got a reply to the extent that driving is a critical element of a firefighter's role. Consequently, one of the essential requirements is a full Class B driving licence. So that cannot be waived. Our man at Cork City Fire Brigade, Victor Shine. Victor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Has it not always been the requirement of a firefighter to have a full driver's license? Is that correct? For the last 40 years of my memory, it's always
8: been the requirement. The reason being that the, the minute you sign your contract with Cork City Fire Service, you're required to be able to drive the smaller vehicles, the jeeps, the vans and so on, for various tasks, for commuting equipment around to the different stations, for training purposes and so on.
3: Like You would think that there's no point in having a firefighter there saying Jimmy, you're driving that I can't drive
8: um, That would be one of the, the interpretations of it but our main objective is when you come in on your recruitment training, our main priority is to get you the Category C license, so you're starting off at the base level of Category B and we then have 12 months to get you fully qualified right. for a Category C truck license With the add-ons that um, the fire service and the emergency services require for the emergency standard driving, the SDS, which is driving under emergency conditions with blue lights and sirens. So there
3: is training within the fire service, but that's for the specialised vehicles. You have to be able to actually drive before you can start work there.
8: You have to be able to drive your Category B. We immediately start you in the process of getting, if you don't already have a provisional license for your category C, we start you on that program. We have our own internal driving instructors, which will bring you through all the various levels and test it through the RSA, authority yeah. standards.
3: The, I suppose the case being made, um, Victor, is that a lot of people who might have wanted to apply under this recruitment scheme can't because they can't get a License, they couldn't get a test uh, owing to COVID-19. It's unfortunate, isn't it? But it's just the way it is.
8: It's very unfortunate. Um, We have had a lot of inquiries about uh, this situation, um, but people have been um, preparing themselves for many years for a career in the fire service and other emergency services. So they would have a background of the requirements. The same when you do your career guidance in schools and so on. You know what you have to achieve, or if you're going to college, you have to have certain standards, certain requirements, and so on. so people prepare for these um, many years before they um, go forward for the job so they're they're well prepared and they they come in and they start on a, a long process then of training okay. and career
3: development all right victor and then me it's 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 a while since you recruited. How often do you recruit
8: um Generally, every two to three years, um, but um, over the last number of years, we've uh, maintained panels for a longer period of, period of time, um, three years, and on this particular
3: occasion, we may actually hold a panel for up to four years. Right, right. So, so uh, getting on the panel is the, is, is, is the, the necessity at this stage. Victor, thank you very much, as always. That's Victor Shine from Cork City Fire Brigade. And you know what? It would be lovely to be able to make an exception because people couldn't get a driver's license this summer and that's sad and that's unfortunate and a lot of people have lost out on that I'd hate to be someone waiting for a test but one of the basic necessities of joining the fire service is that you have a basic driving license the reason being that they will then train you up to driving tenders and and big machines and, and all of that but you have to come in the door with a driver's license to start you on the process and unfortunately, it's a no-exception situation. There are a few in life. 1850-715-996. Could we give... Hi, Julie. Could we give a big shout-out to my uncle, Shawnee Burley, who listens in all the time. He's listening at the moment. Just want to tell him how much I appreciate everything he does for us, and we love him loads. From his niece, Julie, Dylan, and Kian and Molly and because we're nice, we'll spare him, spare him some blushes, but he is a decent sort. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I just read them as I get them. 1850-715-996. I'm having lovely thoughts about that um, principal in Bantry, a carryman wearing red and white. Just love to see that happen. You really do. Hi, Peter. Are communions and confirmations going ahead? Because under the original stage two of COVID, they were cancelled it's a case-by-case case situation it must be held in a larger structure plans must be made out in advance uh, and the plans don't have to get approval just be available for inspection I know that at the moment they're trying to reschedule a lot of the confirmations that were cancelled in the early part of the year uh, my own nieces actually my, I have a niece being due to be confirmed and they are trying to reschedule it but the problem some of the churches aren't big enough to hold the 50 people. And there's not enough dates and there's not enough times because confirmation is usually done in the early part of the year and it's, it's proving difficult to reschedule them. And the same is going for communions. They are trying, but it's a problem. The, the capacity of the churches is a problem. Whether the new announcement, stage two, I look it up, I'll have a better look at it during the news, uh, the capacity of churches is addressed in stage 2 of the five under the uh, restrictions uh, the plan for the next six months but i think we were all more interested last night in just exactly what was happening with the cabinet than we were in reading the plan which we probably should have been doing reading the plan and just letting them get on with the circus 185715996
0: Cork Diary on Cork's 96FM. Cork Yoga Fest 2020 will take place at the Clayton Hotel, Silver Springs on Sunday, the 20th of September. With hourly yoga and healing sessions, proceeds from the event will go to the Hope Foundation. Tickets are available from the hopeshop.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96FM.ie. 185715996.
3: I have a chart. Thank you to Michael who sent me a very handy chart on Twitter uh, to do with level two. And the household limit in level two is six people from two or three households. Uh, gatherings, six indoor, 15 outdoor. Weddings, 50 people. Uh, indoor gatherings, up to 100. Sports fixtures, 50 indoor or 100 outdoors. And lunch, you can do that but it has to be two tables for six and groups of six from three households when the wet pubs open again it'll be groups of six to pre but with regard to the indoor gatherings like communions and confirmations etc, up to 50 the way I'm seeing it here up to 50 uh, but if there's space obviously in a church to socially distance for 50 people
2: the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Courts 96 FM
3: That's an excellent question Anne on the driving licence Do the recruits have to have Their two years done on the in plate or, or what? I can't imagine they'd put an in plate Up on a fire engine I can't think either that they would Anne It's a good question I didn't think of raising it with, with Victor Shine But we can check can check. 1857-15996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. 96 96. Email opinion at 96 fmie The tweet is at opinion line96. Hashtag is OL96. And then you can contact us through Facebook, the Corks96 FM Facebook page. And mark your messages, please, for the attention of the opinion line. We've just been having a look. There's a detailed table within the government's plan. Uh, on what level two consists of and settings, indoor events up to 100 patient, patrons from majority of venues up to 200 for outdoor stadia or other fixed outdoor venues um, religious services, here we go open with protective measures for example, appropriate social distancing one-way traffic removal of communal prayer items and up to 50 worshippers where the premises allows for a capacity of greater than 50 this may be permitted in separated subgroups of no more than 50 with additional protective measures as per guidelines that is kind of confusing to say the least but I think what it says is that they can have up to 50 in a church for an event but if it's a slightly bigger church can have a slightly bigger crowd and if it's a bigger event you need to find a bigger church which is (laughs) like it's just mad that that confusion where's the clarity in that it's either yes or no the numbers are are there ah stop lads stop 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 1850 715 996 now there's some very sad news from the world of sport overnight and that was the passing of a man called Pat Smollin now unless you were into horse racing you would not have heard the name Pat Smollin but he was a very very successful jockey he was nine times the Irish champion jockey uh, he was only 43 and he died after a battle with pancreatic cancer which is one of those awful cancers that they just they just can't sort it yet Vincent O'Riordan um, Vincent, good morning Good morning, PJ Tell me a bit about Pat Smullen for listeners who wouldn't be familiar with him other than the name
5: Well, as you said Pat Smullen was nine times champion jockey in Ireland in racing Maybe a lot of people don't follow racing but uh, there are there's a huge racing community in Cork City and County I've been following racing Uh, when I was a very young age but the great thing about uh, Pat Smollin was the person not the sportsman, as a person he was an absolute gentleman Uh, I met him two or three times uh, going racing and uh, he talked to anybody and he was a farmer's son, he was uh, born in Offaline Road and he was up on horses at 11 years of age and if you want an example of how to live your life, just look at Pat Smollin and look at some of the videos up on on YouTube. He was just a wonderful, wonderful person. And I know many people in racing down in East Cork and all over Cork will uh, join with me and, and uh, pass on our sympathies to his family. Mm. And um, I think when you look at our sport, and when history is written, he was, to me, he was the Muhammad Ali of our sport. He was just a great guy. And when uh, when you had a bet and Pat Smollin was up, by God, you got a favour on for your money. Yeah. And uh, I think testament to the man, though, is the person. And I I think the older I get, and I keep saying it to people, it's not what you do or what money you have. It's what kind of person are you? Yeah. And that Pat Smullen was just a wonderful, wonderful man. Well,
3: it's funny and you should say that, Vincent, because I was listening to National Radio Sports News this morning, and while they paid him the Jews' sporting tribute that, that is obviously he deserved, it's rare to hear a, a sports announcer just to stop and say, and besides all of that, he was a lovely, lovely man,
5: which and by l- all accounts and it was. Y- yeah, and last year in the coroner on this day last year they they ran a charity event and uh, they raised somewhere in the region of three million, and it was all down to Pat Smallman. It was initiated by a nurse and sent in St. Vincent's hospital. Pat took up the cudgel and on like at his greatest hour of need, like to do that is. Incredible, you yeah. know, and he, there's a great interview up on racing TV of when the race was over. Tony Mackay won the race, it was the race of champions, and there were thousands of people there. I don't think you'd ever again get an atmosphere like it yeah. the way the racing community came together. And uh, what a wonderful man, you know. I, in my lifetime, I'm 60, I have never ever come across a sports person. So humble and such a great guy and his work ethic, as German Wells said, from a young age. You know, you know, I think when you look at the COVID and restrictions and all that, I think the greatest thing we could do is come together as a people and Pat Smollin would would like that. You know, and try and work together, and defeat the, and do what the government are saying, and not to be whinging and crying. And I think Pat Mullen was brought up like me on a farm, you know, and in the farming community, neighbours help neighbours, and and people people got together. That's the kind of background he yeah. came from. You yeah. know, it's just a wonderful. Like he he had a short life, but he had a great life, yeah. Yeah, and uh, nine times. Champion jockey. I think, as I said, everybody in Cork, whether it's hurling or GA or, or sport, and everybody, particularly in the racing community, as I said, down in East Cork, there are some great racing people. Yeah. He was he right. rode right. above in Mallow. Let's face it, that uh, that, that the
3: race uh, is like having nine All Ireland medals.
5: It is, the same thing. Uh, sometimes racing doesn't get the coverage, unfortunately, but I have enjoyed it for years. It's a great social occasion. Well, but I, I'd advise anyone to go into the interviews who's interested in sport and look at some of the interviews he's okay. done. He, he's just a great man. Okay. And my, I pass on my sympathies to his family. And thank you for taking my call, PJ. I'm
3: delighted. Thank you for making the call. Thanks, Vincent. Uh, 1850 Only important to mark the passing of a great Irish sportsman. Um, Pat Smullen. and I know we had a discussion on the programme last week before anyone reminds me we had a discussion on the programme last week about horse racing and whether it should continue at all but look that's for another day and another discussion this guy made it his life and uh, he has passed away at the very very young age the terrible young age of just 43 1850 715996 (laughs)
2: Corks 96 FM The world record for the fastest verbal saying of the alphabet is 1.6 seconds. <laughs> He holds the world record. I can't believe. Now, three, two, one.
8: That go. was actually good. I, think, I, think
2: I need to slow it down. We need to hear all of the I think words. <laughs> it
8: sounds like I've been pulled over by the
1: guards. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. exclusively Skoda in Cork City.
2: This is Court's Gold Emro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now.
1: 083
2: on Courts 96 FM. Now, we've covered
3: the topic of domestic violence many times uh, during the course of the lockdown. And during the general uh, course of the last six months in dealing with the pandemic, when, you know, services with the best will in the world couldn't be provided at the same level to which they usually would be. At one point, you'll remember that every day we did a set of numbers, a set of phone numbers that people needing help with anything could call. And one of the things we read out was contact details for domestic violence um, groups, charities, organisations, whatever but the Cork City and County Joint Policing Committee uh, met this week and they heard of an increase in domestic violence figures across all three local Garda districts so it wasn't just anecdotal what we were hearing during lockdown, it was true and I'm joined on the line by Garda Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan uh, to discuss it a little, a little further uh, Con, good morning to you
9: Good morning, Peter.
3: Good to talk to you. The, I, I'll deal with the domestic violence element of it in, in a while. It, it, it kind of it, it confirms what, what anecdotally we were being told. But they, we were told at the, at the meeting of um, an increase in COVID crimes. What What is a COVID crime?
9: Well, I suppose, uh, PJ, during the duration of, of the pandemic we have done over between patrols and checkpoints over four and a half thousand in the three court divisions uh, and i'm sure you all have come across and your good listeners have come across checkpoints where god shake on our checking them but quite a number of incidents actually associated with the covid19 checkpoints believe it or not relate to public transport and as you're aware your you know the five kilometer radius that you couldn't travel out beyond We were obviously checking the buses and trains and that to see who were the people that were traveling on them. And it was found actually that some of our criminal fraternity were using public transport. And there were quite a number of detections, believe it or not, for transportation of drugs and drugs for personal use on public transport. And obviously, when we recorded those, they were recorded as an incident associated with COVID-19. Admittedly, then as well, you had other incidents where you would uh, restaurants and, and bars that were allowed to do takeaway food and that. And some obviously maybe pushed the boat out a little bit and, and put tables outside. And in the regulations and the guidelines at the time you, you couldn't have people, you know, dining close to the premises and that you know, that would be recorded as an incident as well. But the primary numbers, I suppose the main numbers were actually coming from our, our public transport and at some of our COVID checkpoints.
3: Yeah. There's a lot of reduction in the statistics compared to this time last year, for example, sexual assault crimes and the likes. Is that realistic, though, given given the lockdown? The lockdown would have contributed to that reduction, would it?
9: It certainly would. And I, I suppose, look, any time you go out and do a checkpoint, you, you know, with our roads policing or our frontline staff, you know, you're depriving the criminals of the use of our public roads. And certainly that is very evident from all the figures that I gave on Monday at the... Joint Policing Committee, uh, you know, is down approximately 30% across each of of the three divisions, which is excellent to see. Uh, There are a number of reasons for that. Like I said, the checkpoints is number one, but you must remember as well that quite a lot of people are working from home. And, you know, we have seen a huge increase in the number of reports coming into us, believe it or not, from the general public as well, who may be at home, who may see that suspicious van at their gate, Mm. and, um, you know, are very quick to ring in and, and report that. And we're very thankful to the public for that because it's about Angadish economy, working with the public. Mm. And look, let's face it, you know, your police force is only as strong as the community it serves and the community it works with. And I think this is very evident here as well, you know, with the figures and that. And as was then, you know, once we get reports in, we utilize our text alert systems throughout the city and the county. You have an excess of 60 of those who have been, you know, extremely beneficial, I suppose, as well in, in detecting and indeed deterring crime. Yeah. You know, many instances there where, you know, we would send out looking for a suspicious man or whatever. We may not give all the details of the number, obviously, because mm. we have to think ahead for the courts and that. And, and, um, that it could be used in the wrong way. It's interesting,
3: isn't it, that when we were all at home, either working from home or once you went home on a Friday, if you were working in the office like I was, once you went home on a Friday, that was it until you went out on Monday morning except to go to the supermarket. You know, we were all more observant in our own neighbourhoods because we were there more often.
9: Exactly, and I think the community looked out for each other as well you know and you know if they see somebody going to the neighbors drive or outside the neighbors house they were very quick to to ring in
3: yeah. Who's
9: and, and there's a sense of of community spirit as was probably which came back as well we certainly could see that with volunteerism like you at all your clubs your suppers yeah. J.A. rugby athletic clubs all rode in with the the local authority in in providing that support as well, you know, to do the shopping for quite a lot of our elderly or people who are vulnerable out in the communities as well.
3: The fall in sexual assault, Con, is is that just because a lot of it went on behind closed doors and we didn't see it, we didn't know about it?
9: Well, I suppose you also have to look at, you know, our nighttime economy obviously has has practically shut down and, uh, you know, quite a lot of our sexual incidents you know, when you analyse, would be associated with the nighttime economy, you know, be it with late night pubs, or which are discos or whatever. And certainly, you know, once they were shot, I think, you know, the young people and majority of people had nowhere to socialise. And some of those incidents, actually sexual assaults, incidents stem from that, that area. And certainly, you know, that had a huge impact on the on those figures, we yeah. believe.
3: We were anecdotally flooded with reports of domestic violence particularly during the, the harshest part of the lockdown and, and the complaint was that look people can't get away people can't complain, people can't access help uh, how, you, how, what, do your figures reflect that, that there has been a, a bit of a surge in domestic violence during lockdown?
9: Well, yes, I yes. suppose. Well, look, uh, the three figures uh, for the three divisions, uh, you start with Cork City, like for the first eight months in 2019, you had 819 incidents, domestic related. And for the corresponding period this year, you had 910, which is an increase of 91 incidents. And um, if you look at Cork North Division, for example, in 2019, for the first eight months, they had 372 recorded incidents. But for the first eight months of 2020, they had 448, which is an increase of 76 Yes, and in my own division in Cork West, for example, in 2019, you had 179 incidents recorded, and in 2020, that rose to 254 incidents. Yes,
3: yeah. and but you also had the problem of the the abused, the the victim being able to access help or be brave enough to seek it or having that moment where they can seek help.
9: Well, that that's true, and I suppose we must take into account as well that you know across all three court divisions, you've set up the. the Protective Services Unit uh, were a, a very specialised unit which deals specifically with all sexual crime and domestic related crime and I think that those three units they're, in, they're set up in, in, in three divisions work very closely you know, with all the support agencies such as the corporate Rape Crisis Centre such as West Cork Women Against Violence and many other you know, small support groups and I think you know, there's an excellent working relationship that exists there and not alone with the statutory agencies such as Tuslan, HSE And I think that has closed that loop as well. And, you know, people are, you know, the supports are there as well for the people. And certainly, you know, they work very closely. There's a a
3: learning there maybe for the future, though, is there?
9: Well, yes, and I I think it's taken it to a new level as well. And, of course, you must remember as well, there was new legislation came in 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 2018. The Domestic uh, Violence Act 2018 brought in, I suppose, a new area of coercive control. Yes. And, you know, which was a very important area, and I suppose to was an area of legislation that Angarda Shikana had been looking for to support us uh, in supporting the victims of domestic violence. And certainly that is, we've seen a, quite a number of, of cases reported under that area, and they're being currently investigated. And indeed, there are some of them now actually starting to appear before our courts, where the Director of Public Prosecutions has given direction to charge with that, with those charges, and yeah. I think certainly you know people can see now that we are able to assist in in that field. Yeah. What about uh,
3: liquor licensing inspection? Anecdotally, there was a lot of inspections, even though the polls weren't open during the lockdown.
9: Well, yes, and uh, we certainly did do. And look, the vast majority of publicans have been compliant, and I suppose it would be very naive of an Scottish economy to think, you know, at times that you know they may take a shortcut here and there, and certainly, you know. I suppose the public again were very quick to ring in and report stuff there as well and we thank them for that. Um like they were looking at, at at the inspections, you know, over the three court divisions. Uh in the during the pandemic there was very close to nine thousand liquor inspections carried out. And the number of detections actually have been very small, actually, out of the nine thousand I think we probably are somewhere in, in the region maybe of thirty in total. Yeah, you know, which you put that into a percentage, it's a very, very it's minute, really, and which no, indicates that
3: most people most people followed the rules.
9: Absolutely, and I think in fairness, a lot of the towns as well, the Vintners, are a very hard-working, close-knit group of people as well. And yeah. you know, like, we, we did hear of
3: lock-ins and, and people being left in the back door, but anecdotally or indeed the facts don't don't stand up that it was anything other than a few places.
9: Uh, that's correct, and I think the, you know quite some of that happened very early on, at the early stages as well. And I think you know as time went on, people became more aware, the public became more aware, and certainly it was totally unacceptable, you know, with the public as well. And you know they rang in and correctly okay. reported.
3: Can we? have been taking calls in the last few days here, and indeed we've been taking calls off air for a number of weeks now about a firework problem on the north side of the city, but not just in the north side, in, in, in Mahan and sometimes parts of Douglas as well. Uh, They've a task force now set up in Dublin to deal with something similar. But the other morning I took some very graphic calls from people in the Glen, very concerned about fireworks being aimed practically in such a way that they hit people's homes and property. Can anything be done about that? Is anything been done about that?
9: Well, it, it certainly is, PJ. I'm glad you asked because, uh, you know, in the lead up to Halloween is what we, have what we call Operation Tombola. And, you know, any of the searches we carried out, you know, and we carry out many searches of private property and that under warrant on, on a daily basis throughout the three divisions. And it's one of the areas, obviously, when the search has been carried out, that, you know, it maybe for drugs or in another field, you know, for theft or whatever, and if we come across any fireworks in those um searches, they're obviously seized number one, and they will be prosecuted obviously for mm. possession of the illegal fireworks as well I mean, I assume
3: and it's an offense to set off a firework that you know may well land on someone's house.
9: It certainly is, and uh, you know, your, your, and your good listeners are well aware there have been many injuries as well caused to young people. Yes. You know, in the lead up to Halloween, but some of these fireworks going off prematurely and, and maybe in wet weather and whatever, and the damage that they can cause and the devastation they can cause, you know, lose a hand or a limb or, you know, an eye. Yeah. because of one of these but I would encourage the public out there you know if you are aware that where some of these are are being stored you know don't be afraid to pick up the phone contact your local guard station or indeed your local community guard and we take that very seriously.
3: Would you take and, a call like that on the 1-800 number Con?
9: Yes that's correct and give it into the confidential line and uh, certainly within a matter of minutes actually it comes back out to the local superintendent who will action that and okay. you know that's the thing that's actioned immediately and, obviously, it was Warden Scott, and then, you know, the property is searched. Finally, ob- the,
3: my, my eyebrow went up there a minute ago, and uh, can you ever tell me, where do you get the names for the operations gone? Tombola! Uh,
9: yes, uh, they're actually, believe it or not, in, in Dublin, at headquarters, pick these, and then uh, some are very unusual. <laughs> but, look, it, it's, it's very important as well, because there are so many different operations going yes. on that we can distinguish, and, uh, again it's like a code I suppose if there's something going on you
3: know yeah. that you don't want people to know um, suddenly that's you know, it, it's one. utilised in that sense as well alright, ok, thank you uh, good to talk to you, that's Garda, Chief Superintendent uh, Con Cadigan 1850 996 appreciate that Con, we had an upswing in domestic violence so in other words it wasn't just people talking on the radio about it, it wasn't just anecdotal, it's there, it's there in the figures now 1850 715 So the next time that you're giving out about the media making stuff up staring the figures 1850 715 Actually I think I know where they get the Tombola thing from. In operation when they wanted us all to stay at home and lock ourselves down. Remember that was Operation Follacht. That was basically Operation Stay Put. But Tombola is a draw, it's like a county fair or a garden feast or a fairground and the tombola is the draw and sometimes if you hit the jackpot in a tombola they set off fireworks that might be where they got it from
2: this is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now, 1850-715-996. On
2: Cork's 96FM.
3: Still some tweets and messages coming in about Stephen Donnelly and his COVID-19 test, which he took yesterday, and was turned over like a rapid. He had the result in, some people say, as quick as three hours. Certainly it was less than five hours he got his result back. It was announced on the 9 o'clock news that his test had been negative And people saying, how the hell can he get a result in a few hours? And we're there waiting days and, and longer to get the results. And there's a kind of a... It's not often that social media stands up to back a minister, but there's a kind of a social media thing this morning saying, look, if the Minister for Health can't get a result back in quick, smart time, what hope is there for any of us? It proves it can be done, and we need the Minister for Health at his desk. We need the Cabinet at their desks at a time like this. So better to get it done, get it done quick, smart, and get it sorted. That's one view. The other view says, though, Genevieve, I think Stephen could work from home if he needed to. There are essential workers waiting five and six days or more in Dublin to be tested. Nurses, doctors, healthcare workers that can't work from home are out of work awaiting tests and results. And that's an equally valid point. As why shouldn't the Minister for Health be able to get it in a couple of hours? Because he's an essential worker. When Stephen Donnelly was giving the press conference yesterday, did anyone else notice when he coughed? the way he did it. He didn't do it the way we've all been told to do it. <clears throat> he didn't go into his into his elbow. Hartoo? And all that. I didn't see, to be quite honest. And then another one. Only UF is the only name on this. What message is the doll sending out if they're overreacting to probable cases of COVID-19? Businesses have worked hard introducing social distancing, barriers, hygiene, and ensuring no close contacts. And then the government reacts like this. It undermines everything that we're doing in the workplace. It's an ongoing topic that is engaging you during the morning. In Facebook, though, I got this this morning. There's a video going around. As usual, the ads in Joe.ie have been up to their normal divilment. And there's a video going around of Stephen Donnelly at the press conference yesterday explaining the various zones, one, two, three, four, or the various stages, one, two, three, four, and five, We're all at two, of course, except for Dublin, which is at two and a bit. And he was asked a question about the difference between one stage and another stage. Now, this is not him. This is a very clever voiceover, and this is flying around on social media.
7: So what Level 2 says is that if Level 1 and Level 3 are different levels, um, you get a Level 5 divisible by the Level 1 minus the Level 2 that I had previously mentioned. Now, if you get a spirit level from the boy band Another Level and use it for the entirety of Level 3 in Super Mario Bros. 2 uh, with a level head, you will see a level of levels dishevelled by both Gary and Phil Neville.
3: That's class. That is just class. 1850-715-996 is the number to text to WhatsApp. 83 396 96 96. <laughs> little bit of a hassle at UCC at the moment with regard to student accommodation. 1850-715-996. Thomas on Twitter says the fact that Stephen Donnelly has access to instant COVID-19 testing and the rest of us don't goes to just demonstrate that they don't see themselves as public servants, but as entitled overlords. Jamie Fraser is the uh, Vice President for Welfare, uh, the Welfare Officer at uh, UCC Students' Union. Jamie, good morning to you.
10: Good morning, Peter. Thanks very much for having me on. Delighted.
3: You've been dealing with a problem involving hatch accommodation and students who had to vacate their residences because of lockdown.
10: Uh, It's quite complicated so just outline it for me. I'll do my best. It is quite complex, as you said there. So, yeah, so I've been dealing with hatch accommodation and various students and their worries. So following uh, Antichok's uh, announcement on the 12th of March in um, regards to lockdown, um, students felt like they weren't safe uh, to stay away from their homes. You know, especially students from the countryside want to return to their families A bit a scary time. So uh, I was dealing with one student in particular who on the 20th of March um, removed his belongings, gave notice and returned home. Um, and he uh, basically just because he didn't feel like it was a safe environment for him to study in. Um, now I will know duly Julie that accommodation providers and landlords are under no contractual obligation to refund rent during a pandemic. Yeah. But we'd like to see a measure of goodwill here, especially when a lot of students come to me looking for accommodation, and sure. I would rec- recommend certain certain complexes. But um, we'll, we'll break part, it down a
3: little bit. First of yeah, all, w- what does what who where does Hatch accommodate people? And secondly, how much money is involved? How much people had paid up front, say, if you had to go home on the 12th of March, uh, or had, uh, you know, how much money would you have paid up front?
10: Yeah, so I suppose I'd kind of be dealing with the hatch accommodations in Cork. There's two of them. There's one at Marshall's Yard and one at Steelworks. So basically, students paid, uh, one student in particular and a lot of other students uh, would have paid €2,748 Euro in rent that wouldn't have been refunded to them. Um, and that's including, they were charged for utilities also, even though they weren't living there. right? Um, so basically the student returned home and uh, approached Hatch looking to, get a, to see if a measure of goodwill could be made for a refund. Um, however, I've been in contact with many students who've Hatch just ignored their correspondence. Yeah. Um, so I kinda, they reached out to me, I took it upon myself. I sent six emails, I engaged with them over Facebook Messenger, Messenger on their website, Twitter, Instagram, um, still to no avail, eventually I got onto the phone from someone in a Carlow office um, who seemed very distressed at the time that when I reached out to them. Um, eventually then we got kind of some correspondence um, and we were told that HAT wouldn't deal with me, that they would deal with a student, yeah. um, which is fair because it's confidentiality agreement and GDPR and all that, but fair enough. But then as soon as I, I was out of the picture in their eyes, there was no correspondence with the student anymore. Yes. So I had to like follow up with them to reply to students at all times.
3: Now you're you're calling on Hatch to refund students
10: from the period of March to June. Yeah, that's correct. So the payment of two thousand seven hundred forty-eight euro. Yeah, and uh, kind of what proves kind of disconcerting as well, PJ, in my sense, is that Hatch only kind of engaged with me when I kind of said that I was going to make this something public, kind of on which ourselves and on our various social media streams. And when that was outlined, they were quick to respond to a student to offer them a 500 euro discount for the next year period if right. they agreed to sign a lease.
3: So However, in other words, come back next year and we'll give you 500 euro off was the offer.
10: That was, the, that was it. But what proved even more disconcerting is when you went onto their website, and you can see it now, is that there's an offer of, there was an offer of 585 euro at the time if you just booked right now, right at that moment. So it wasn't an exclusive offer. Even though it was made seem like to the student that it was in fact exclusive, you know.
3: Right, right. Now we did email them, as you'd expect us to do. We haven't, I believe, had any reply from them. Um, so where, I mean, and they won't deal with you, and they're hardly likely to respond to us in any great detail, other than to acknowledge our email. <laughs> if they do that, it's down to the individual student who is the client, I guess.
10: Yeah, well, I suppose in a sense you could say that, um, but in a sense you have the hatch of the due responsibility. To look after its tenants when they stay there um, now the students and very since we reissued a statement on our various social media streams regarding patch um we've i've had other students reach out to me to describe the the horrid, horrible conditions i had when living there um and you know i thought in in fairness it does boil down at the end of the day i suppose to the tenants and the landlord however at the end of the day students students see the union as a measure of respectability and accountability and I feel it's my responsibility. Quick question for you, Jimmy,
3: in, in general yes. terms and in what we say normal times if we ever see them again, like would the Students' Union have a working relationship with accommodation providers so that they can perhaps, in your case as Welfare Officer, uh, act and represent students?
10: So I suppose in a sense uh, a working relationship with Kind of various landlords is, are sorry, an accommodation, but it's kind of a very difficult thing to kind of kind of get a complexity on really, in a sense. Um, you know, I suppose we try and stay removed and just kind of offer suggestions and, you know, if a student does have a problem with, say, a landlord or, or a complex, then we're willing to take on that and liaise with a landlord or accommodation complex on their behalf. you um, see Student Union employers to me, they have brought uh, and represented cases to the Residential Tenancies Board, the RTB, with the students. Yeah. So that's there for students if they want, so they know that I'm here. We also set up a Students' Union Housing Committee recently in order to provide more clarity and just to give students the support they deserve amongst these times, you know.
3: OK. All right, Jamie, leave it there for today. As I say, we await a response to our email uh, from Hatch. Thanks, Jamie Fraser. who's the Welfare Officer at the UCC Students' Union. Basically, they pay about nine grand for the year, and they have around 2,700 that they had paid up front for the March to June time and obviously they didn't stay there they had to clear out and they want their money but the students union believes that they should get their money back or at least a good portion of it, get their money back for the period which they weren't in the Hatch accommodation the Hatch is the provider so no reply from us or to our emails so far but if we do, we will bring it to you 185715996 they pay 9 grand a year says this information uh, they pay 9 grand a year when COVID is that a, a, a message lads and when COVID-19 broke out they got a solicitor's letter telling them they had to pay all the year in the UK they're now being chased for a deposit for the same house for the year coming and that is even with a bit of uncertainty over Brexit 1857 Just mentioning, as I did earlier on, the Marymount fundraiser today, marking the Cork double of 1990 and raising money for Marymount and indeed from the GAA and there's various different events and charity efforts going on around the city and county and great to see it. The Debenhams workers will be 161 days on their picket tomorrow. 161 days is very significant because that's the same length of time as the uh, Vita Cortex workers were on their sit-in. And on the 161st day, they walked out with a deal with which they were happy. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case with Debenhams. We'll be marking that in some length on the programme tomorrow with plans for that. But but for today, uh, the Debenhams workers would like you to know that they're doing a 12-hour fast outside the store in Patrick Street in aid of the Marymount Appeal the Cork Double Red Day 185715996 there's a new mortgage provider coming into the market and threatening to shake it up we'll find out more about avant
11: next
2: Thinking of getting a new carpet, flooring, or bed for the winter months to brighten the home? Call to Factory Carpet Superstores. With three stores across the city, we have a great selection and unbelievable prices. Factory Carpet Superstores. Consale Road Roundabout, Link Road, Ballancolic, and Commons Road, Blackpool. The best cost less at FCS.
4: Casey's Furniture, we get it. Your sofa has earned its keep. Match day thrills, toddler spills, TV dinners or a little sleep. Your home, your Casey's. New collection in stock now. With interest-free finance and fast nationwide delivery. Fancy a change? Let's have a look and see. Shop in-store or online at caseys.ie.
2: That's the sound of Amy, relaxing with a book. She said goodbye to hours of laundry with the large-capacity Bosch 9kg washing machine from Harvey Norman. Amy bought it at the great price of 599, saving 200 euro. At Harvey Norman, we've a huge range and low prices on washing machines, like the Samsung 8kg washing machine, now 499, saving 170 euro. Shop online or in our spacious stores today. Harvey Norman, your home appliance specialists. This is Court's Gold Emro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now: three
2: three three ninety six ninety six ninety six on Court's ninety
3: six FM. Now, at a time when getting a mortgage is hard, and if you can get one, the rates are very high in this country. There's a new player has arrived on the market. Um, entering the mortgage scene with what it says is the lowest rate and straight away a Bank or AIB rather has responded with a, a low rate. It's called Avant Money. Uh, to tell us more about it Charlie Weston's personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. Charlie good morning Good morning PJ. I've heard the name before Well, how come they're new on the mortgage market? Who are they?
12: Yeah, you would have heard the name before because, um, especially if you pass through Carrigan Shannon, there's a big operation up there and that beautiful, um, in that beautiful town up in, uh, in Leitrim there, uh, 250 people work there in what's called Avant Card. It's a, it's a credit card provider. They used to be MBNA and they bought over MBNA and they renamed it Avant Card and they issue credit cards and, uh, personal loans. Now it's owned by a big Spanish bank, Bank Inter. Uh, the fifth largest bank in Spain, the big mortgage operations in Spain, in Portugal, and in Luxembourg. And they've decided to get into the mortgage market in addition to being in the credit card and personal loans market. The Avant Card also would do uh, on and chill money uh, cards as well. They're the provider behind that. So this is a big move because they're coming into this market. We haven't seen a new entrant to this market for ages. Yeah. And they're coming in with good, juicy rates. The first time we have a lender in more than 10 years they're going to offer a rate which is less than 2%. Now, you know, that is just great news. It's it up to the others. As you said, PJ, already we've had an, a response within hours of, of the launch on Monday of, of avant money they're calling the, the mortgage offering, avant money came in with these new rates uh, and all of a sudden AIB responded with cuts themselves and their fixed rates of, of about 20 percentage points so that's exactly what we need because as you said also, we have very expensive mortgages in this country we, we, the average in this country is nearly double the, for the rest of the eurozone even though we're supposed to be in a currency zone you, you'd imagine that yeah. mortgage rates would converge a bit Uh, But, uh, you know, it's expensive to show a mortgage in this country for various reasons. Uh, The regulatory requirements mean that to put aside a lot of capital because of the uh, collapse we had 10 years ago. We're still paying for that, you know. And also because um, uh, it's hard to revisit a home if if somebody stops paying. We've seen celebrity couples sometimes stop paying their mortgage and can leave it for seven years without paying a cent and get away with it. So, I mean, that's expensive. That has to be carried by banks. But this is great news. They're coming in
3: at 1.95%. Charlie, which is considerably lower than anything else in in the market. Now, how are we to know that that's not just an opening gambit?
12: No, I mean, I you know that's a fixed rate. Three, you can get those for three, five, seven years. But then, to be fair, now that's that's a very attractive rate. That's a headline rate. That's grabbing all the attention. But you would that's essentially for switchers. So somebody who's been in their house for a good while, had a mortgage for a good while, they've paid down a lot of the mortgage, and they think I could do better. I could get a better rate. Uh, those people, if they've built up a good bit of equity in their home, they qualify for that that rate. Because if you're a first-time buyer, that rate applies to you as well. But you'd need to be buying the house with an enormous. Um, uh, positive positive forty percent or oh, more. Frankly, right. So, you, so it's not going to apply to a lot of first-time buyers. Right. It will to movers, and it will to switchers. Uh, but I mean, their other the rates are good as well. They're either the best in the market across a whole range of different rates, yeah. or else they're, they're equal to the market. So they have, they're, they're coming in lower, they're putting pressure on, AIB has responded. Expect a response now from Bank of Ireland. That, that's oh, the
3: upside sorry, when it. you see AIB and, and Bank of Ireland responding. That's the upside, trying to bring us down to rates more uh, in line with yeah. the rest of Europe. Is there a downside though?
12: Um, I don't see a downside. I mean, you know, they're a big bank. They're well-regulated, it seems to me. Uh, I, you know, how can there be a, da- a downside? If we're, be- if we're overpaying for mortgages, I can't see a downside in, in a foreign player coming in here and, and putting it up to the to competition in the market. Uh, we've been calling for this for a very long time. You know, we people have wanted this. The, 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 the lads have had it too cosy for too long, you know. The, the AIB and Bank of Ireland would have the lion's share of the market. you have the more nimble players, the smaller players, the likes of KBC, Permanent and Ulster, they've, they've good rates. They tend to have better rates, but they have a small market share. Mm. So this will rattle uh, uh, Francesca McDonough, who runs Bank of Ireland, and Colin Hunt, who runs AIB, cause because you know they, it's the last thing they want. Yeah. They, they don't want somebody coming in here uh, to a market they've had to themselves largely for a long time and starting putting it up to them. So I don't see a downside really, PJ. Now, there may well be uh, a downside but you know uh, th- I suppose the big thing is that very attractive rate, that 1.95 rate yeah. it's really only for switchers So, um, but you know uh, there is a possibility others will come, come down further, we won't get down to continental levels of mortgage rates but at least we'll, we'll, we'll come not, down Why not Charlie,
3: why would that not happen and we are part of Europe after all
12: I, th- I think it's just, it, it, it's not a great market for mortgage players. I mean, it just, if somebody stops paying, they can, you know, the the, the, the courts are very sympathetic, as they should be. You know, families are not going to be chucked out on the street. But it also means the rest of us are subsidizing that then. If somebody's not paying, they're living in a house, essentially rent-free, uh, That has, that's a cost that has to be carried. And also, you know, the, the, the domestic players have to put aside a lot of capital when they issue a mortgage here. So... You know, uh, but, but, but so it, it, w- even though we've good competition, it, um, I think rates will come down further. Remember, credit unions are dipping their toe into the mortgage market. Uh, you've on post on post talking about coming into the market. You've finance Ireland. So you have you, a few players in the market. So, you know, gradually it is becoming more competitive, but it yeah. won't quite be as competitive as, okay. say, it is in France or Germany. But this is good news. Definitely good news. The one
3: thing it. you do need to have is your paperwork in order.
12: Yeah, exactly. You know, um, but that applies across the board. I mean, and you have to meet the stringent lending conditions imposed by the central bank. I mean, that just applies to everybody. You can only borrow three and a half times your income. Uh, that applies across the board. And you know, if you're a first-time buyer, you need a deposit of at least ten percent. Uh, uh. A second-time buyer, twenty percent. And are the limits
3: on what they give you? Like, will they, will they give you ninety percent of the property, or will they only give you sixty?
12: No, they'll give you up to ninety to, percent, to but you know, again, it depends. The better rates are for people with with, with more equity yeah. or bigger deposits. You know, and that's uh, all lenders are doing that at the moment. They call it loan to value lending (LTV lending). Yeah. Uh, you know, the less you're borrowing relative to the bar- value of the property, the better the rate is. Um, you know, because it's a lower risk for the bank. Gotcha. Every lender is at that at the moment. So, look, go to a broker if you're in the market for uh, switching or a, a first time buyer go to your broker and and now suddenly there's there's a bigger
3: choice there's a bit of competition and and that's the good side of it there's more competition in there for the first time in a very long time Charlie thank you very much as always Charlie Weston personal finance editor with the L
2: C. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM 1850-715-996
3: 1850 715 is the number. The text or WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. The tweet is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And, of course, contact us through Facebook using the Corks 96fm Facebook page. And uh, please mark your message for the attention of the opinion line. Now, on, as of midnight... We moved into one of our five phases, and for most of us, in fact for the whole country at the moment, it's phase two. Dublin is phase two in a bit, but we're all at phase two. And under phase two, the so-called wet pubs in Cork will open from next Monday, the 21st of September. They won't open in Dublin because of the high case rate up there at the moment and Dublin could find itself upgraded more in terms of uh, restrictions in the next while but for now our wet pubs here in Cork which have been closed for the last six months are set to reopen on Monday with special regulations like booking a table no bar service time limits where the space doesn't allow and all of that and the publicans are delighted and they're relieved And and they've been closed for six months and they can't wait to get back and get started and try at least to get some element of their business back up and functioning. But one public health expert has warned that maybe even this is a bit too early to be reopening the pubs. It's Professor Ivan Perry, who's the UCC Dean of Public Health. And I think, Ivan, you are one of the people who promotes the idea of going to zero COVID and elimination uh, programme, uh, and in fact we should be holding off on opening pubs until we get closer to that. Good morning. See, there he is.
13: That's right, and, and, and of course I have huge sympathy for the publicans. My, uh, my br- brother, Michael, in um, Sligo, runs a pub, which has been closed, obviously, for the last six months, so, you know, so I know exactly where the, the publicans are coming from, and, you know, the, the, the grief that people are experiencing in terms of their Livelihoods and and so on, and um, I, I suppose really what I'm saying is that um, you know I'm, I'm questioning whether, as our students come come back to college, which will be Cork, for for example, is a university town, uh, and we, whether we should be opening the pubs more in more or less the same week as our students come back. Now, now I know that the that um, we won't have the same volume of, of students as in pre- previous years because the university is is, has adopted a blended learning type approach but, but, I, but, I, but, I, but I still have some con- concern and I suppose I would be, have felt that, that that could have been deferred for a little while longer
3: mm, See the thing is that the students and we all know they shouldn't but they will the students won't drink in the pubs they'll, they'll drink in their own accommodation and their own gatherings and all that uh, Is it fair to keep say a pub in Turner's Cross or a pub in Douglas or a pub in Braher? closed because some students might drink.
13: Yeah, I I suppose you know that there are there there are there are there are no easy answers here. And you know we're 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 facing we face quite a difficult situation. You know we've we've seen these rising numbers in Dublin in, in 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 the last few weeks, and it's and it's not that they're not just rising in 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 Dublin. The, 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 the numbers outside at, at, at Dublin are also creeping up, albeit albeit slowly. And while there may be a sense that at the moment the the Hospital admissions and the deaths are are still low, but but on, on, unfortunately, there may be just a lag phase there. Yeah. And when, when 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 you look across the the Atlantic at what has 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 played out in the U.S., you know, which has really, I suppose, prioritised business interests over public health, and really they, they shouldn't be in in in, in conflict. Um, but but if you, if you see what's happened in the in the US where there's over a, a thousand deaths a day still and where COVID now has become the third commonest cause of death in in the US mm. and um, you know I, 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 and, and I suppose my uh, the, 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 the argument is that the economy won't recover, recover, the pubs won't be back to anything near normal business or normal volumes until we get on top of, of the virus so I think that's, that's who, where we have to,
3: yeah.
13: that's what we have to p- prioritize.
3: I've spoken to many proponents of the elimination uh, route over the summer and yes. into the autumn. Professor Perry, people like Anthony Staines, yeah. Jerry Killeen right, and, yeah. and others. Um, there's an argument out there, though, that says that that looks great on paper. But realistically, in in, a, in an economy like ours, in a country like ours, with the people like ours, it's pie in the sky. It can't be done. Well,
13: well, you see, I think that, and uh, I mean, Anthony and, and Jerry, I know very well. We're, we're we're in a similar group. pushing this. It it may be not as, it may be not as 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 unrealistic as 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 it it seems, because. Um, what the, at the core of the E-E-E elimination strategy is not that we close the country down for, for months and months and we, we, we block flights coming in. Mm. It's, it's, it's more that we, we would tighten up for maybe four to six weeks, maybe yeah. even f- four weeks, get the numbers down to what they were in the, in the summer or even lower. And then as we open up, open up county by county, yeah. So there are many countries in Ireland where we could get down to uh, uh, the, e- the e- elimination of community transmission. Yeah. Like for for our
3: population in Cork, Ivan, we've been performing quite well of late. Yes. For the size of our population. See,
13: the size of our population. And you see, if, if we could get Cork, or indeed, let's say, Mayo or Sligo or whatever, down to really low levels, where the e- elimination strategy kicks in then is that you would say and, and this is obviously there's some sacrifice here you would limit travel bet- between counties that are in the sort of green zone and counties that are still in the red zone yeah. and then you'd concentrate your firepower on the red zone counties.
3: Yeah. Like Is it idiotic of anyone to be planning a leisure trip to Dublin at the moment
13: Personally, I wouldn't go to, 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 to Dublin at that at the moment because the 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 virus doesn't doesn't take public transport in you know in, in Dublin to Cork elsewhere. the virus needs people to transport it from one end of the country to the the, the other. That's the harsh reality so that's why we're all being adv- advised obviously in terms of our personal hygiene hand washing and in terms of limiting our um social contacts yeah. so, 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 so so for instance you know my my w- w- wife and i in the last few months w- w- we've had one couple uh, as guests as guests in our home um you know and uh, that, that that's it because we, we we just feel that for the the moment until we're 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 out of the other yeah. side of this it just makes sense for all of us and and you know it's it's not easy
3: no i think we i think we all have well those of us who have, have sensible approach to we've all limited our circle uh, Certainly, my own particular circle, social and family, is much smaller and yeah, work much yeah, smaller yeah. than it would have been in in any other year. It's and uncomfortable it's it's not nice helping. but but that's how we have to go. on the subject of Dublin, though, Professor, yesterday we had another huge number, three hundred and twenty something, and over two hundred of those were in Dublin. yeah two, two Now we've got to phase two and a bit in Dublin. Do you think that the government are neffit? Will have to tighten up further on Dublin.
13: Yeah, I think that um, it, it's, it's, it it seems likely that when Neffit meet tomorrow or Thursday, that to Dublin will probably be, probably move into into phase three. It's kind of virtually there anyway, um, and perhaps the you know the phase two and a bit might have been better avoid it, and you know it might have been better um, to just bite the bullet and and. Go for phase three yesterday, though I'm conscious it's very easy when you're not making these these.
3: No, these, and you're not a, you're not a business owner dreading it, right. or you're not yeah. you're not someone and who worried about their job yeah, or worried that, about that, that. You know, that's right. and
13: you know, I think as I was saying, to somebody else there this morning. Anyone who's who's dogmatically certain about what is the right thing to do and about the, the timings and the levels, anybody who's dogmatically certain probably isn't close. To the actual detail, so you know the government and NEFET and everybody else were t- trying our best to, to make decisions in the face of you know very considerable yeah. uncertainty. but but you know um, unfortunately we are up against a virus which is highly transmissible yeah. and um, you know that's that that that. that Reality can't be
3: avoided. Finally, can I just get your thoughts on people? For example, Kevin, who has tweeted here, who lives in a rural area, and there are thousands of people living in rural areas where the local pub's been closed for six months, yeah. but that area hasn't had a case. Yeah, I might not have had a case at all at any stage. Like yeah. you've got to feel. For those areas,
13: he hugely, and, and you see, this is where the
3: can you virus, open those pubs or should you open?
13: Well, them? this is where the virus elimination strategy, you know, which is been characterised as extremist, but it's not. That's where that would kick in because there are parts of the country that you know within a few weeks possibly could be open, and then we would concentrate our firepower on you know the Dublin's and maybe Cork City or the the, the areas where where we we might be fully ready to open up if, 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 if you look at if you look at New Zealand and people keep saying well New Zealand isn't like Ireland and it's thousands of miles away from the next country and so on but, but obviously um, New Zealand has much in common with, with, with Ireland and they're they're, they're dealing with an, an, an outbreak in Auckland at the moment yeah. but the rest of the country is more or less back to normal and has been normal for the last four to five months
3: and they've imposed this very harsh regime in Auckland now yeah.
13: Yeah, because they're they're they want to con- contain the outbreak in Auckland, but the rest of the country, you know, they're they're having packed stadia at rugby matches, yeah. and you know they're they're back, maybe not fully to normal life, but pretty close to it.
3: Okay, all right, it's it's cons- worth worth considering. There's two sides to the argument, I guess. You one side, you're I going for for elimination, and others say we've got to live with, and somewhere in between. Is, is the government and you hardly kind of know where they are Professor Perry, thank you very much for your time that's Professor Ivan Perry he's the Dean of Public Health at UCC another senior public health scientist who reckons we should go for elimination that doesn't mean locking us up like we did in March or April that not won't work again that won't work again but in certain places you might have to do it for two weeks, three weeks you might have to lock down Dublin for two weeks or three weeks. And on another occasion you might have to stop people going to Galway, say, for two or three weeks. And you lock down parts of the country on a phase basis as required. So if, like what's happened in New Zealand, most of New Zealand is getting on grand. But Auckland is locked down like nobody's business to eliminate the virus in Auckland. That's how you do it. That's how they did it in Africa. That's how they kept Ebola from getting out of Africa. That's how a lot of people think we should be doing it here. But then we've got to try and get an economy going alongside that. It's impossible to know. If you ask me what side I'm on with regards to the pubs opening on Monday, while I'm absolutely dying for a pint without having to eat, I am? I don't know. I just don't know.
2: This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now, 1850-715-996. On
2: Cork's 96FM.
3: My preparations continuing all this week for Culture Night. We're big supporters of Culture Night, of course, here in Corks. We're informal partners with Culture Night 2020, which is a culture night like no previous Culture Night because of COVID-19. An awful lot of it is online, but there are some stuff that's actually happening live as well, as you can actually go and see indoors and outdoors. Our Ken Perrett is catching up with the preparations.
2: Thanks PJ. We're getting ready for another big night this Friday as it's Culture Night across Cork. Now despite this year's challenges organisers and venues have created over 60 events for you to enjoy Many of these events will be online live streams some pre-recorded pieces exclusively for the night, some file footage to enjoy and some live shows as well Some of the venues that are taking place this year include the Everyman, Triskel Arts Centre CADA Performing Arts, Blackrock Castle Observatory, Collins' Barracks Cork Airport and the Cork Public Museum at Fitzgerald's Park. They actually will be be holding four tours of 30-minute duration starting at 4 o'clock. Most of these live events will need to be pre-booked. You can check out a full list of events and you can book your slots at culturenightcork.ie. And Culture Night Cork is proudly supported by Cork's 96FM.
3: Thanks, Ken, for that. Right, wanted to get to this yesterday, but didn't because of the press conference with the Taoiseach and Thornishter uh, telling us about the next stage of dealing with COVID-19. Wanted to get to it, so let's do
11: it now. Space, the final frontier.
3: Is there somebody out there? Oh, there is. There just might be somebody out there. Is there somebody out there? I couldn't resist it. I could not resist it. Francis McCarthy at Blackhawk Castle Observatory. Good morning.
1: I love your approach to it. It's the way to go with it. Is there somebody? (laughs)
3: Like... Okay, let's break it down to science for the common man.
1: All right, so... What
3: have they found around Venus?
1: Okay, so first off, a a few little basic Venus facts, okay? Venus versus Earth, sometimes referred to as Earth's evil twin, because Mm -hmm. these are two planets that are almost the same size. So you would expect them to be kind of similar. You know, if a planet's really big, it'll be different. If a planet's really small, it'll be different. Like, it won't have an atmosphere. That's Mercury. Or if it's really big, it'll have a huge atmosphere. That's the gas planets. That's Jupiter and Saturn. But Venus is kind of like us. But instead of having our lovely atmosphere and a nice temperature, it's got a mongo-thick atmosphere, And that means that it is really, really, really hot Mm. on the surface because the thick atmosphere holds in the sun's heat. You know how we have a bit of a greenhouse effect and we're worried about it? Yeah. Venus has gone beyond a greenhouse effect. It's scorcio. What
3: what kind of temperatures are on the surface of Venus?
1: There's one analogy which I think is perfect for thinking about it. You know when you go out for a pizza and you go to a place that has a pizza oven? Yeah. that can cook a pizza really fast. You know, not your home oven, Yeah, but the really hot big one.
3: brick oven that you look in and see your pizza going around the side. That's the yeah. temperature. Yeah. Oh.
1: It's the temperature of the inside of a hot pizza oven, and not a domestic one, it's the commercial ones. So we're talking 400 degrees plus Celsius. It's really, really hot, but that's just on the surface.
3: You're not going there in your Honda, you?
1: No, 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 not no. a chance. Even though several spacecraft have gone there and landers have landed on the surface. They didn't last very long, but they did land. So from that, we know, as they descended through the air of Venus, going down to the surface, that if you're in the clouds, the temperatures are okay. Mm. So it was suggested a while ago that if the temperatures are okay in the clouds, what about living things in the clouds? Because they would have a little bit of water possibly. Yeah. They might have some other chemicals, and if they were small, you know, we were talking microbes here, yeah. they could float around in the clouds. And we do have microbes in our clouds. Yeah. So we, we, we know that this could happen. So what has come out is <clears throat> a couple of Earth-based telescopes have looked at Venus and discovered a signal that matches a particular chemical. And that chemical, it's called phosphine, is a particularly nasty chemical here on Earth. It's made inside the gut of certain creatures, okay. including, I understand, penguins. Okay. Okay. It's made from bacteria, particularly if they live in a place without much oxygen. So this, this anaerobic versus aerobic Processes. So you may have heard, you know, if you're exercising, that's great aerobic exercise. Yeah. But if you do too much, you get a cramp, and that's anaerobic. Okay. You're not getting the oxygen. So there's a way to get this chemical on the earth from living things. Right. But it's not the only way to get it. So this chemical has been spotted just barely. Right. Like they've really squinted at what they're looking at because it's a tricky thing to spot from the ground.
3: So so what we have found Francis is it's not little venusians going no, around in special cars we have
1: possibly found a chemical
3: that supports possibly, life
1: which possibly is produced by living things. Yeah, okay. Okay. So there's a couple of possibilities. But the incredibly cool thing about this is Venus is close enough that we can go have a look. Right. Okay. And so if we can match the maybe signal with a, let's go have a look. It's a really close planet. I mean, you can see it in the morning sky. Yes. If, you're, if you're up early in the morning and you look east, it's the honkingly bright one yes. tomorrow morning. It's gorgeous. And it's not that far away. So looking at this planet, and even if we say, okay, this kind of signal, we went and looked and there isn't anything, It tells more about those planets that we've no chance of visiting. So planets around other stars. So this is fabulous for the idea of, is there life not just in our solar system, but in another solar system?
3: I would be one of these people, Francis, who from the time I was a small boy watching Star Trek, as you can hear from the audience there, (laughs) I have never, I've always refused to accept that we are alone. There's got to be somebody oh, else out
1: there. There's, <clears throat> there's so many stars in so many galaxies.
3: Makes no sense that we're alone.
1: That even if you're a one in a billion chance, well, there's 200 billion stars in just our galaxy. So, for me, the numbers say there's life out there. Yeah. But the distances say it's not here. Yeah. It's not buzzing by and going, hello, take me to your leader. Hey, is it PGA available? Let me talk to them. <laughs> you know, I, I'm perfectly happy with space bugs. And this is what it might be on Venus, is little tiny microbes, maybe. But, I mean, this particular gas, phosphine gas, um, phosphine as a chemical, when it's used on Earth, and it is used, it's used as a, um, a fumigant. You use it to clean out your grain because it's a very nasty gas and a okay. pellet. So it is, it is a, around here, no problem. And if you get it, if, if it's the pure gas, it's lovely. But if it's slightly contaminated by a slightly different form of the chemicals, it's stinky. So just think of Venus, stinking.
3: <laughs> yeah, the more you tell me about it, it being Earth's evil twin, the more I'm thinking of data yeah, and lore.
1: Yeah, we're talking <laughs> a real bad, stale garlic smell. Okay.
3: All right, listen. Francis. just a question here. Like, Hmm. if you have bugs, you might have amoeba before
2: you know it.
1: Yeah, but remember, we're thinking that this is in a particular height in the clouds. Yes. And these clouds are sulfuric acid. Ah, Okay? And anything too heavy is just going to sink. So, you know, an ecosystem in the clouds, Mm. you'd have to figure it out. Like, birds don't stay aloft the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, and what we're basically doing here—you know—a bird laying an egg in the clouds—it doesn't work, okay? So what this is 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 a a tantalising maybe.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting door opened for scientists like yourselves to look
1: into. Everybody's been so interested in Mars because Mars is is cooler and has a solid surface and is easy and is not four hundred degrees Celsius. So there's lots and lots of missions to Mars, including some that are on their way right now. Venus has kind of been overlooked because it really is brutal. So um, there are missions that are are observing um, Venus, you know, going around it. There was a um, a European one that was there for years called Venus Express that sent back tons of images. But there's not currently any plans to go to Venus because it's kind of like, been there, done that, nasty
3: yeah could mars wouldn't be the, would, would wouldn't be a nice place to be, as you said, spending a holiday, Francis, thank you very much as always for for making science fun and uh, while giving us great information at the same time that's Francis McCarthy from Black Rock Castle Observatory. Is there life on Venus Well, maybe there's certainly something worth looking at, so let's go look eighteen fifty seven one five ninety six Sean says, how does she know the temperature of Venus? No human has been there to confirm it. Just machinery. Yes, Sean, but the machinery had things in it that humans put in it to measure the temperature. That's how they know. 18571599. Speaking of real, you know me now and reality television. It wouldn't be my favourite thing. But I have occasionally enjoyed... It's actually very funny. I've enjoyed... Box. can
4: you tell me now minister what's the difference there and what is the scientific evidence that if he has a ham and cheese sandwich here that he's not going to get anything
2: The regulate brand new Gogglebox ireland starts tonight at nine on virgin media one
3: it's got to be the maddest concept ever you have a television program where you watch people watching television talking about watching television darren smith good morning morning when you yeah. sum it up you wonder how it was ever a success it's a terrible idea like, mm? a terrible idea it's One mad of isn't the it it's yeah it's mad isn't it I mean sit I woke up Pasco go with mystery yeah to sit there I mean what about the executive right who brought it to the meeting on a Monday morning and said lads have an idea for a show
0: yeah well how that happened was uh, yeah,
14: probably about five or six years ago the Brexit and riots happened in London and there's a very smart TV executive called Tim Harcourt, who works for a company called Studio Lambert in London. And he was sitting at home and he was watching the riots on the telly. But on his phone, he was watching all his friends commenting about the coverage on the telly. So he went in, like he said, to work the next day and he went, is there some way when something big happens, we can harness on television people talking about the coverage? And what they thought they had initially was a very news and current affairs and factual mm. kind of experiment and they didn't quite know what it was that they had but they knew they had some sort of idea so when they went and they kind of started doing test shoots with kind of pilot type arrangements and cast in it they found that when the camera was running the cast were being quite funny and when they were getting things wrong about telly and then they kind of got back to the edit and they realized there was something brilliant but very different from what they intended to get here mm. and that's where it became an entertainment show but then every broadcaster turned it down and every department in channel 4 turned it down and then eventually one department said oh look we'll do four of them and the first season wasn't a huge hit but when they brought it back it, it, it was kind of yeah. people who lo- who liked it loved it but yeah. not enough of them did in the first run. but they'd only four episodes very hard to build an audience over four. So they went again, and by about series two or three in the UK it really took off.
3: And we kind of got to know
14: the people. Hmm. And not in that way that telly normally force feeds the information. You know the way normally on the show you'll cut to the the VT of, here are the mulligans, this is their house, dad's the farmer, mum's this, you know, yeah. dad's that, and their favourite colour is, and their favourite TV show is. And actually, in an early iteration, on paper, of Gogglebox. They were going to do all of that stuff. But one of the producers is a very smart lady called Tanya Alexandra and she was very inspired, I think, by the Royal Family, the sitcom, and was kind of like, no, this just needs to be people sitting in front of their telly talking and we'll learn about them as it goes.
3: Do they know they're being filmed?
14: Of course they do yeah, yeah. You can't secretly film people
3: <laughs> No, yeah. no, I mean is Do they know when the camera is on? Because yes. sometimes you wonder Like, yeah. Would you really wear those pyjamas if you knew?
11: That is uh, That is
14: a, a fair question But I couldn't possibly answer it On behalf of the pyjama wearers <laughs> But no, I mean I, I don't want to give away the magic of how we make it, but yeah, they, but because there's no cameramen in the room, because you know they're still in the room on their own. Yeah. they they you know they, they're chilling they, out like they're relaxing. They chill out, they relax. I mean, it takes us. It generally with new, not all of them, but with new cast members, it takes a couple of a couple of goals for them to yeah. relax. And,
3: and do are they, do the do the makers tell them what to watch, or do they choose what to watch?
14: uh we would cuz we would need everyone watching the same stuff
3: same thing so you yeah oh, yeah, okay. yeah yeah okay okay so we've we got a cork an involvement in this series with Donald sure. and Dale no don <laughs> hmm? no don and dale don and, okay, well, yeah. and dale okay don and dale okay don and dale and we've got can I, is it Canaan? the kibelama is it yeah 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 so and we'll be watching them for the accents and the expressions and all of that yeah
14: yeah, and they're great. I mean, Don and Dale, this is, I think, their third or fourth season with us, and they're just, they're a very, very important and much-loved part of the show. They're brilliant. They're Isn't really
3: that is a thing? They become like that. They become really part part of the show, and... People identify with them. There was some there's someone of the British families, that guy died last year, and it was only a national
2: day of mourning.
14: Yeah, yeah. No, it, I think people have a relationship with the people on Gogglebox in the same way that they do with families on a soap opera, or at least used to. You know, they feel like part of your week when it's on TV. And yeah, like Don and Dale are a good example because, you know, they got engaged while the show was running last year, so their engagement was you know a story they discussed you know on air and stuff and but people only learn those things on air we don't We don't really encourage the cast to do a lot of promo that's right. why unfortunately for you, you're talking to me and not cast from the show because we have i mean we're like you know we always make exceptions but there's we we don't want the cast becoming. Part of the red carpet, they're meant to be the man and woman on the street yeah you know what I mean giving their view, and if suddenly they're part of a kind of more uh, celebrity world it
3: they, that it dilutes their voice. but they're in that very fishbowl that can very quickly make them celebrity
2: Yeah, we were kind of
14: very concerned about that at the start, but this is our sixth season now, and it hasn't happened here it has happened in the u k they've a sharper. Uh, celebrity fishbowl or culture, but yeah. over here uh, we've kind of we've protected people from yeah. doing too much stuff. You? you can't uh, really
3: you can't really protect them. Like if if you if they if they live in Mallow, for example, and they're going down to hey,
14: is your one have box! Ah, yeah. But that that yeah, we can't protect them from that. You're right. But in terms of we're not putting them into you know other yeah. celebrity shows. We're not we're not kind of booking them out for public appearances or anything like that. But but because it's a loved show, because people like it so much, they don't get negativity. We like we we were very conscious you know, online can be a bit of a swamp, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah. And we were very conscious of this. And still are that if any of the cast are getting negativity online, but
3: like because yeah, that's what would worry me Darren there. a little bit in that you have, I, mean, I, I mentioned it purely in passing, you know just the fun like if you knew you were on would you wear them pyjamas but like that's just me having a crack but some people can be very cruel online.
14: Well no, 100% but for some reason and I'm touching wood now, we've managed to dodge that and I think it's because what? people just like Box. I mean we always end up uh, you know trending at number one the yeah. like night we're on and while, You know, as a TV producer, you're meant to say that doesn't really matter. It is, not, of course, it matters. Of course, it uh, matters. But also, <laughs> it's, uh, it's universally positive on Gogglebox. Yeah, it's no, no, no it, like it is. Shows, it's a strange. It's know? a strange it's thing. Like, I don't it, think it, it Gogglebox on friend- first dates are kind of yeah, almost companion shows in their feel good nature. You the, know, the
3: first time I ever saw it was over in a friend's house and. Uh, we were just. I just arrived a little bit early, and they were finishing the dinner, and they had Gogglebox on. See, watching Jesus. Who I didn't had you down as a reality television household. Oh no! I said, "Watch that was the British one." Watch this, watch this, and from that day, I don't see it very often, but but it's good fun, and it's back. Darren Smith from Gogglebox Ireland, back with the whole cast of characters uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, good to see two new families in in this series for you to get to know and to love. Isn't it great to have so much time On your hands of an evening To watch fellas watching the telly Finally today It was 30 years ago This very day
10: Prevail in front
8: of
9: their loyal band of fans. The subs wait. The double has been achieved.
10: It's Crox, Ireland. It's Crox here. The double in hurling and the double in football. Phil
3: Mary McCarthy of Corks 96 M Sports. Hey, G- How you, buy. 30 that's years that's ago fair. today. Some memories, though, wasn't it? Oh, incredible.
0: Absolutely incredible. Uh, I was actually in the Lower Hogan stand for both of those games, and it was just absolutely fantastic. The Hurling one, as everybody knows, kind of came over the blue, but the footballers hadn't been beaten in 87, had to beat me in 89. I remember I was beating Delaney the other day. I had done a good interview in his Book, and I was sitting alongside John Coleman, who was on the 73 team, that won the All-Ireland, and he said to me that day, he says, Finn, we have to win here today because to take the glass off and last year's victory over Mayo that car team had to beat Mead and they did and you know it's just a magical magical month and you know Paige we came very close to doing it again in 99 we won the hurling and lost the football people so, forget that actually
3: yeah we that, yeah. that came really yeah. close
0: yeah yeah. yeah really, we lost to Mead <laughs> we, should, we should throw Mead out of the championship
3: <laughs> <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned Larry and, and he's on he's on the other line Larry Tompkins good morning
15: Morning, Peter. How
3: are you? Good. Thirty years ago, does it feel as magic as it did that day? <laughs> so
15: look, it doesn't seem thirty years ago, but look, uh, as I said, magic magical memories, and uh, look, brilliant for Cork people, brilliant for Hurlers footballers, and indeed the whole of the whole of talk. Uh, just magical coming back down to the to the capital and uh, seeing so many people there on the Monday night. It was just. Just incredible! It's hard to believe. There's 30 years, PJ. Year it's yeah. gone so
3: fast. Tomas Mull was, of course, the hurling captain that year. How, Tomas? Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Great. Not good, good sir. Great nostalgia this month, and and it's important too because this was never done since. I mean, the chances of it never having been done again, and it probably never will be done again. Now, that well, must. How does that sit with you? Uh, well,
11: uh, I suppose 30 years on, uh, you'd be kind of saying. Where we we should be the forgotten people in terms of like we we we're probably the only county outside there that have a chance of doing it again. And look, I've I've said already this morning elsewhere, I said wouldn't it be fantastic with the county season starting in the next couple of weeks? Yeah. Imagine Christmas week Down around Panna we, we, we have the two of them Arriving again With two yeah, metres you know? so like, Between us With we two metres Between us And the Christmas shopping And everything Wouldn't it be fantastic And the Christmas lights Are up And um, even yeah. if we got one I think we'd be happy you know? yeah, so they're, they're, that, 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 That's something To look forward And I think Yeah we we have a chance Of doing that
3: Yeah, Finny of course We should remember th- The ladies did The did double too Didn't they
0: well, they've done it a few times in the last number of years. The Daily Football and the football team have done it, and uh, you know, our credit to them. But there's something special about that that year, 1990. And when well, the two lads were on there, uh, PJs, lots of football people have played central roles in that. I think the two lads were captains, mm. and they led by example on and off the field. They were outstanding players, outstanding individuals on and off the field, and they were great characters having your team, and while we talk about this fella doing that, Larry and Tomas were sent to their victory, they were outstanding leaders on the field, and they were a credit to their folks and yeah. to their, yeah. their families and everything, and they, they were brilliant captains, and yeah. it's only fitting that we should have the month there, because two great guys and two
11: outstanding individuals. Teddy's he worth a to mention to,
3: too, isn't he?
11: Who? Yes, yeah, I, I think, TG, uh, if you come in there, um, look, I know, and I thank Sambar for your, for your sentiments, they're absolutely fantastic, but it's not about the individual, right? And it's, it's yeah. about the team. And look, uh, I'm conscious of the fact that I was just a member of a team. I was lucky enough and privileged to be captain. I'm sure the same with Larry, but we don't believe we're players. And I'm talking about goalkeeper out Cunningham on the Harding side. We're right up the corner for with John Fitzgibbon. Yeah. And, and I could go through the whole lot. Yeah. But I have to remember, like Sir Charles McCarry, unbelievable coach, and Ken O'Brien, who was who's our manager. He was just a, a, an incredible guy. And for us, to me, that was the collective right. The team, the team was was just massive, and the selection committee yeah. behind it, and that drove us on that year. And uh, yeah, you well, mentioned Teddy McCarthy P.J. I think yeah, special mention to Teddy. He's been on a Very important man back in 1990.
3: And that is something that will probably never ever be achieved again. Larry. Having someone do, what Larry, had to have someone get both.
15: Yeah, look, it, it was magic. I, 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 again, like what Tomás has said, there. It's, uh, you know, again, I echo everything he said there. Look, we were we're, we're the lucky ones, CJ, in relation to uh, being out there between the White Lions. You play for your club, and if you're lucky enough, then you you you're on the county team, and it was a privilege for us to be out there representing Cork and all the members of that team. Uh, deserve every bit of credit and the background team that was so so important to us as well with Billy and his background team, but you know we we mustn't forget like all the supporters like and everybody that probably today is a is a day of go red and and uh in a lot of ways like uh, we're we're touched with Mary mountains yeah. uh, you know we go out there we visit a friend or a colleague or. Uh, God forbid, uh, some of your family, but yeah. they're they doing incredible work. It was, and, it was uh, a very uh,
3: fitting charity to pick, and 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 very important to, to do it. Uh, hold on, let's get another call. Stay there, lads. D uh, D has a picture. Hi, hi am. Hi, what picture Jackie. do you have? Jackie Jackie, sorry. No. What what picture yeah. do you have?
0: I have a picture of him, Larry Tompkins, and what's the other fellow's
6: name? Dave yes, Barry. And my young boy was
3: only five months old at the time. Have <laughs> <It's 21> to <now. laughs> on the wall at home. Ah, yeah, that's that's a treasure. That's a treasured memory. Thank, thanks yeah. a lot for that, Jackie. That's not the best line in the world, but people have lots of photographs. I suppose you were mobbed. Everyone was mobbed for months afterwards around town. Just give you the, the last word on, on it, Finnbar McCarthy. This is it's it's this is our sport. This is these were our teams. These are our memories, and it's pure Cork.
0: Finney. And, you know, the the lads and the Tomás Wright, two collective efforts by everyone involved, and they live long in our memories. And we should remember, too, the people, sadly, part of the players, some two players, we remember John Kearns and Mick McCartney, no longer with us, members of the backroom team no longer with us, they two played their part, and we should remember them. But two very, very special teams, and whenever the G.A. thought about in Cork and Hurling and Football, these two
3: teams would be remembered. And rightly so. Thank you, guys. That's uh, Larry Tompkins uh, Tomas Mulcahy, and our own Finnbar McCarthy. Marking thirty years since the double. Remember the special shorts in, in suits distributors. All of the proceeds today are from the special double shorts. Are going to Marymount as part of the Cork Wears Red. Have a good day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
2: Planning for your next trip.